this is the idea to start a podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the idea to start up podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about how to get startup ideas that'll work. There is a specific reason for this topic. Last week, we spoke with Alex White about how he tested out a bunch of ideas before landing on his current business, Subsidy. Because of the approach he took, Subsidy always had a far better chance of succeeding than most startups do. And early momentum is confirming that that is true. He's doing great. Alex tested dozens of ideas before landing on Subsidy, and our interview leans into the process of testing and contextualizing those ideas, the process he used to figure out which idea had the most potential and how to pursue it during the early days. It's super helpful stuff. If you haven't listened yet, I recommend it. But as some people pointed out, this leaves a really important part of the process out. A listener named Erica put it perfectly, quote, It was great hearing about how he tested out all those ideas, but how did he come up with the 10 promising ideas in the first place? The idea he followed was so unique and niche. How did he get it? During the interview, we talked about how important a unique perspective on a problem is, how knowing something others don't is the key. At the core of Erica's question is how did Alex or anyone develop so many unique perspectives to test? Today, we'll talk about that, how to find ideas that are unique and would be worth testing. Also, we'll talk about what an idea in its earliest stages actually looks like. By the end of the pod, you'll be the type of person who comes up with a testable idea or two each week. The way to end up with a great idea is to get lots of ideas so you've got some context. It's impossible to know in a vacuum if an idea is resonating with customers early on if you've only done it once or twice. It's like if you only had two slices of pizza in your life. You can't possibly know what great pizza is yet. There are three things you'll need to do to start generating ideas that have potential. We'll hit all three of them today. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand its potential and start working purposefully towards that potential. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs build businesses that raised over a hundred million bucks and are now worth nearly a billion into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. It's the thing I would have killed for when I was working on my idea without direction or a team, which is exactly why we built it. We're going to launch 250 businesses this year. One of those might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas to get the podcast listeners deal. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday at our one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. In 2010, Marina Abramovic put on one of the longest and most impressive pieces of performance art on record at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I was living in New York City at the time, and I remember the city buzzing about it. There were lots of opinions, and I unfortunately remember mine. Someone sent an article along, and I remember thinking it was one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard. I actually thought it was a joke at first. The best pieces of art are the ones that get people defensive, and for some reason, this had the city up in arms. It was that good. Abramovic's The Artist is Present was exactly what the title said it was. Every day, Abramovic would arrive to the MoMA before it opened and take her place in the exhibit. 
That exhibit consisted of her sitting in a wooden chair under the bright Klieg lights of MoMA's towering atrium. The only other item in the room was another wooden chair, placed opposite her. A line would form each day as museum patrons would wait to sit in that other chair. When it was their turn, they were invited to sit as long as they'd like and do just about anything they wanted. Abramovic would sit completely still, silently holding their gaze until they left. She did this 10 hours a day, six days a week for a total of 700 hours, completely present. During the course of the exhibit, around 1,400 people sat in the chair across from her. Some sat for a few minutes, a few sat for the entire day. All told, a half a million people visited the exhibit, and MoMA set up a daily feed where another 800,000 watched. Countless people left the chair opposite Abramovic in tears. Talk about how remarkable it was to have someone completely present, holding their gaze, clear that they were the only thing in the world that mattered while they sat there. I thought about this exhibit again a few months back as it was mentioned in Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the Key, a pretty good book I'd probably recommend reading. And then I thought about it a bunch more recently as I've watched some of the entrepreneurs we've worked with over the years really separate themselves and build phenomenal businesses. The emails about the Alex White interview kind of pulled everything together. Startup ideas are, at their core, you just noticing something that no one else has. There are two ways to do this. First, you can look places other people don't think is worth the time to look. And second, you can have a bunch of diverse experiences that make you look at the same thing everyone else is seeing with an entirely different perspective. We've always preached the second, though the first works too. But at the end of the day, the important thing is you've got to look. You've got to be present, and that is hard. About a month ago, I grabbed lunch with one of our most successful Tacklebox alums, Deepak. He runs Nuvo Cargo, a company that last raised at a $180 million valuation. They're hiring a few hundred people this year. The reason I tell you this is not just to brag about someone we work with from day one, but to let you know how absurdly busy this person is. There is a lot on his mind. And yet, when we sat down for lunch, he was completely, almost ridiculously present. I've got chronic neck pain and headaches from an old basketball injury, and within 10 minutes of eating, he mentioned that it seemed like I was doing better because I only stretched out my neck once when the last time we'd eaten lunch, about six months prior, I'd done it every minute or two. He never once took out his phone during our hour-long lunch or hour-long walk after lunch around the city. When an old friend of his walked into the restaurant we were eating at, he saw her, said to me that it was a dear friend, and then went back to 100% focus on our conversation. I asked if he wanted to go and say hello, and he said he would when we were done if there was time, otherwise he'd just call her later. He probed me with questions about Tacklebox and the pod and jotted down notes to remind himself to make intros later. When I thought of our other successful founders, I realized they all had an abundance of this presence trait too. They were almost relentlessly present, to the point that I'm beginning to think it's a superpower. Deepak pursued a number of ideas before Nuvo Cargo, and each of them solved a deep, important, and emotional pain point for a customer that was hidden to everyone but someone really willing to listen. I texted another founder who seems to be particularly present and asked if there was something she did to purposefully act this way. She responded that her parents had always told her growing up that she couldn't learn anything if she was talking. She had a post in her laptop that said those words verbatim. So the first and probably most important change you'll have to make to start coming up with lots of good ideas is to start noticing more things. And the things you notice need to be about people. Ideas are always about how people feel. 
understanding the goals they have and the things they believe are holding them back. So you need to put yourself in a bunch of situations where you can be present and notice those things. The thing that's so interesting about Abramovic's exhibit was people's reactions to it. The idea that it wasn't actually art because, hey, anyone could do this. Theoretically, you or I could go sit in a chair and be present for 10 hours a day too. But in reality, we don't because being present is really hard, which means it can be a differentiator. Here's how I'd put this into practice. If you're interested in something, let's say it's vertical farming because obviously I'm obsessed with it and can't go an episode without mentioning it. But maybe you don't have any unique insight into this space. Try to set up situations with the people you'd potentially be solving problems for where you can flex your being present muscles. Orchestrate 10 conversations with people who work at vertical farming companies, people who buy vegetables from them, scientists who've worked on the tech and investors who are active in the space. I ate my own dog food this past week after writing this pod. We're raising a fund to tackle box, and so I decided to speak with a ton of people who'd done this before. I tried to be absurdly present, and I had five of the most enlightening calls I've ever had. I can't recommend this enough. The way to get ideas is to notice things other people don't. The way to do that is to put yourself in positions where there will be unique things to notice than to be fully there to pick up on them. That's step one. Step two is all about motivation. I used to have a really hard time ordering food at a diner. I love diners. My favorite in New York City is Veselka in the East Village, a Ukrainian diner with insane pierogies and don't you dare miss out on the matzo ball soup. Don't you do it. But it'd take me like 20 minutes to pick something. Any diner worth its salt has everything from breakfast foods to like a seafood plate to a Reuben. You can always get a side of hash browns or deviled eggs or a lobster tail, so I get paralyzed. Not that I'm going to order a $6 lobster tail side at 11 a.m. at a diner, but maybe. Side note, I'm always amazed by the chefs at diners. They can make literally anything. They're like the veterinarians of the restaurant industry. They can cure a chicken or a dog or a snake and can make a bouillabaisse or a porterhouse or a cob salad. Anyway, I fixed this a few years back by creating a diner decision tree. First, I choose if I want breakfast or lunch. If breakfast, I'm default ordering a Western omelet. If lunch, I'm default ordering a tuna melt with onion rings. Then, if I'm having breakfast, I look through the menu to see if anything beats a Western omelet head-to-head. If lunch, I see if anything beats a tuna melt with onion rings head-to-head. It speeds up my order time and gives me some structure. It's much easier to make progress when you've got a rubric, something to compare the potential choices to. And that's why coming up with ideas is so hard, because what is an idea? Most ideas I'm pitched come as partially or fully formed products. For example, my sister has an idea for a better food rating service. She hates Google and Yelp because they don't tell her what someone like her thinks of a certain dish. Her idea is an app where people earn the right to rate things. So you wouldn't be able to rate any ramen dish until you'd had five or seven or 10 ramen dishes. Then you'd be able to rate each, and my sister can then use some weird cousin of the transitive property to match up whatever ramens you've both had. Well, this person rated this ramen a 9, I'd say it was more like a 5, so I don't trust them for any other rating. Or maybe we both rated this ramen a 10, so literally anything else they recommend, I'm in for. She can't understand why this doesn't exist. She thinks it's the best idea out there. I think she's tried to sell it to me. She's not really in the startup world, doesn't understand how these things work. But it gets to a better point. What is an idea? My sister's idea just seems like an app. Is that what an idea is? A fully formed product? 
The parameters of an idea hold people back because it's hard to look for something if you don't really know what you're looking for. And it's impossible to compare two things if they don't have anything in common. So we normalize them and here's how we think of them at Tacklebox. An idea is a promise. It's the gap between now you do X and we'll help you do Y. How much potential an idea has depends on three things. First, how big that gap is. Second, who you're closing that gap for. And third, how motivated that customer currently is to close it. If the gap is huge and the customer is motivated to close it, and you can build a simple product to do that, you're cooking with gas like my good friends at Veselka. And all it should take to acquire these customers is that message. Now you do X, we'll help you do Y. Put that somewhere they see it, and if it's compelling, they'll convert. This gives a lot more context to my sister's idea. What's the promise? Who's that promise to? And how motivating is it? The promise is that you'll be able to make better decisions when you pick restaurants. You're more likely to end up with food you love and less likely to whiff on a bad restaurant. The implication is that this person who clearly already cares a lot about food will be able to drastically improve their restaurant selection process. So the first question is, how big is that gap really? How motivated is the customer to solve it? Is it really one of their biggest problems? Is it an urgent problem? Is it frequent, painful, growing, expensive? How bad is the status quo really? Is it bad enough to send them searching for new solutions? If so, what are they looking for now? Does the current process have them going to inedible restaurants half the time? Or what's that actually look like? In Tacklebox idea terms, my sister's idea isn't the app. It's the hypothesis that there's a customer endlessly motivated to close the gap we identified between the restaurants they go to and the restaurants they could be going to. And now you probably understand why this app doesn't exist. Because almost certainly this isn't that big of a problem. Yep, it's marginally difficult to choose restaurants. But whose life really depends on choosing the absolute best restaurant at any given moment? The status quo is almost certainly going to be good enough. And if you're a foodie, you've probably got connections or more intel or other ways to pick great restaurants. So back to our original premise. How do you come up with lots of differentiated ideas? Ideas where the status quo isn't good enough. First, you shift your mindset like we talked about. You work to be more present, to put yourself in situations where you can understand someone better than anyone else can. Next, you use the parameters of a great idea to frame all the ideas you have. Whether that idea is a product or a customer or a general theme, your goal is to distill that idea down to the promise you're making to customers to see if that promise matters. The three questions can help. First, how big is the gap between their current outcome and the outcome you'd create? Second, specifically, who are you closing that gap for? And third, how motivated is that customer already to close it? And what are they doing now to try and close it? This makes sure that what you're doing actually helps people, that they actually see it as a problem and that they'd actually do something if you built a solution for them. The key is to find where people will take action, which nicely leads us into our last pillar of coming up with differentiated startup ideas. Ideas are active, not passive. You don't have an idea out of the blue and then build that thing. You have a hunch. You explore that hunch. You learn more and shift what your focus is. Then you shift again. The more you learn, the less you realize you know as you chase down a customer who cares. So the last pillar of coming up with differentiated ideas is to stop beating yourself up for not having differentiated ideas. 
I spoke with a founder a few weeks back and had a conversation I've had literally hundreds of times since Tacklebox started back in 2015. The person said they wanted to start a startup. They wanted to run a business. They just didn't have a great idea and they were waiting for it to come. Once they did, they'd happily join the program. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Startup ideas are more like learning Italian than waiting for a lotto ticket to hit. They're active. And if you don't structure them, they won't happen by accident. So if you've got an idea like my sister's, distill it into its promise and then speak with customers to see how big the gap really is. See if your pitch, you do X now, we'll help you do Y, is compelling enough for them to do something. But if you've got nothing, start hunting around. Pick a topic. Maybe you're really interested in helping freelancers feel less lonely. Great. Tug on that thread. Set up 10 calls with freelancers and start asking them questions. Start being present as they answer. What's hard about being a freelancer? What are you doing to solve that? Why isn't it solved? Start looking for the gaps people are really motivated to solve. Then pick another vertical and another. Get some context. Give yourself a few months to do this. Startup ideas are like muddy water. You've got to let them settle to see what's there. Then pick the most compelling customer gap and go after it. And as always, if you need help with that, join Tacklebox. We'll help you execute on your idea once you picked one. Apply at gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas and have a great week.